X-Ray. Welcome to The Local, your daily dose of hometown news and democracy. I'm Jefferson Smith from Portland, Oregon. It's Monday, June 8th. Yesterday, back in the day, the Oregon Beach Bill aimed to forever preserve and maintain the sovereignty of the state heretofore existing over the seashore and ocean beaches of the state so that the public may have free and uninterrupted use thereof. Passed yesterday, back in the day, June 7, 1967, signed by Governor Tom McCall. An earlier part of the story started in 1913. Led by Governor Oswald West, the Oregon legislature established the ocean beaches as a public highway. For 50 years, this crafty maneuver became part of Oregon folklore and the public perception of ownership. And in 1967, it became official. Shout out to the Oregon Encyclopedia. Today in the local, your quick six headline, a story on the NAACP of Vancouver's car rally from our partner KXRW and a focus on racial equity with Apostle Stephen Holt of Kingdom Nation. We also have an interview with Ty Carpenter with Don't Shoot PDX on movement building and holding leaders accountable. We spoke with Ty on Friday just prior to Don't Shoot PDX's legal action shared in the quick six in just a moment. And first up, it is today's Quick 6 Local Rundown. City Commissioner Joanne Hardesty says Portland will defund three more police units. Commissioner Hardesty told a crowd of thousands on the Portland waterfront on Friday that she will secure the votes to cut two more police units. City Council will vote Wednesday, day after tomorrow, to eliminate the budget allocations for transit police, as well as the gun violence reduction team that was once known as the Gang Enforcement Unit. She credited the political uprising, telling protesters, and here's a quote, I did not have those three votes to remove those three units until you. It was not immediately clear who the other votes in the city council would be, but City Commissioner Chloe Udaley announced earlier Friday that she would support the set of police reforms. Udaley had also pledged to bar cannabis taxes from being used for police budgets. Last week, Mayor Ted Wheeler yielded demands to remove school resource officers from high schools in three Portland school districts. And Friday's gathering, Hardesty said she had received over 12,000 emails supporting her call for defunding police units. He said, I've been advocating for police reform for 30 years, but I feel like a teenager when I see you on the street. Please don't stop now. Don't stop. Meanwhile, over in Minnesota, a majority of the Minneapolis City Council announced their intent to disband the police department and replace it with a community-focused safety organization. If you've seen the signs the articles abolish the police, this is an example of the kind of thing they're talking about. Mayor Wheeler also found himself in front of protesters on Friday. He hinted at a possible ban of the Portland Police Bureau's use of tear gas, but he walked that back on Saturday, issuing a statement saying he directed police to use gas less, only if there's no alternative. Here's his quote. Today, I directed Portland Police Chief Jamie Resch that gas should not be used unless there is a serious and immediate threat to life safety and there is no other viable alternative for dispersal. I strongly believe that gas should not be used to disperse crowds of nonviolent protesters or for general crowd management purposes. It should only be used in response to violence that threatens life safety. Chloe Udaley had spoke out against police using tear gas at all. Here's her quote. The Geneva Convention banned the use of tear gas. I think we should, too, end quote. Many nighttime demonstrations in Portland have ended with the use of tear gas and other dispersal tactics by the police bureau. That included Friday's protest and it included Saturday's protest. And in response, the Portland Police Bureau's use of tear gas to control crowds, don't shoot PDX and other groups are suing Portland. Class action lawsuit, the groups allege that police are indiscriminately using tear gas against demonstrators. The lawsuit seeks a TRO, a temporary restraining order, to immediately stop the use of gas and also seek to ban it permanently, like the Geneva Convention. On Thursday, police said if officers stop using tear gas, more dangerous methods might be needed to control crowds. And City Commissioner Joanne Hardesty said she is working on a middle ground, but said she couldn't divulge the details. I suspect we'll be following up on that one. Your daily dose of data. The Oregon Health Authority reported 146 new cases 
Sunday's case count marked the highest daily total since the onset of the pandemic. Officials said that high number is tied to several factors. More widespread testing, that's good news. Contact tracing, that's good news. And workplace outbreaks, that's not good news. 124 coronavirus cases have been reported at Pacific Seafood Facilities in Newport, Oregon. It's a shrimp plant. The investigation into the outbreak started June 2nd, but the initial case count was below the threshold for public disclosure, so they waited to disclose what it was. OHA is now publicly reporting outbreaks of more than five cases in workplaces with more than 30 employees. Meanwhile, the Oregonian is reporting that the OHA, that's the health authority, won't release key statistics that they are using to make the decisions to reopen. And so to make sure we are not being alarmists, health officials say that the risk to the general public of the Pacific seafood outbreak has been considered low. In Washington state, there are just under 23,000 confirmed cases and 1,149 coronavirus-related deaths. And Multnomah County has finally applied to reopen. Oregon's most densely populated county applied on Friday to begin Phase 1 reopening. It's the last county in the state to do that. If the application is approved, the county will open as soon as Friday, June 12th. In a letter to Governor Brown, Kafori said the county has met five of the state's seven requirements for reopening. They've hired 63 contact tracing staff members. That's 52 percent of the 122 that is required in total. And Kafori also acknowledged the timing of the application in the midst of the protests we are facing. This is her, quote, one public health crisis within another. Along with the state's prerequisites for reopening, Multnomah County applied its own equity standards, including measuring coronavirus-related hospital admissions for people of color. Shout out, by the way, to partner and friend Self Enhancement Incorporated, who spent the weekend offering free testing with a focus on the local black community. And Oregon cannabis sales have hit a record during the pandemic. Marijuana sales are, well, high. Sorry about that. According to new numbers from the OLCC, cannabis sales in May increased 60 percent compared to the same time last year. That means for the first time ever, sales were over $100 million in one month. Here's the quote from the OLCC spokesperson. That's the Oregon Liquor Control Commission. They also control marijuana. The marijuana tax is really the only bright spot in the state budget right now. This is the quote. In terms of taxable sales, it was about $15 million. That's going to the school fund, city and county governments, end quote. Just to be clear, though, before you think we can fund government on weed sales, know that the approved state budget is more than $22 billion. So if we smoke cannabis for a year like we did this past month, we would cover just about one half of 1% of the budget. And that's just the general fund, the one funded by taxes. The all funds budget is four times that. And a reminder that cannabis stores have stayed open as an essential business during the COVID-19 pandemic, adapting to social distancing requirements. Essential indeed. NAACP of Vancouver hosted a car rally for Black Lives on Saturday, and KXRW was there to report. In Vancouver this past Saturday, this is how the car rally for Black Lives started up. Um, talk if you can hear me? I don't know. That was the voice of NAACP Vancouver Vice President Jasmine Tolbert. Thank you, everyone. I'm glad you can hear she was speaking over a donated transmitter to hundreds of car radios in the Town Plaza parking lot on East Mill Plain. Tolbert came up with the idea for the car rally a little over a week ago, along with Brittany Lassane of the YWCA Clark County. This is what you get after spending an afternoon on a Friday and thinking, huh, what can we do to respond as the NAACP? Tolbert spoke with KXRW's Mike Selig as a large group of volunteers worked to get ready for the event. And I was literally sitting in my backyard looking up at my trees and I was like, what if we did like a car rally? What if we did something small? We'll probably get like 20, 30 people. Brittany was in the meeting and she goes, ah, we might 
I get like 50. Here's Brittany Lesane. When the death of George Floyd happened, we felt like it was really important that we find a way for people to grieve, to express their anger, their frustration, um, any of those emotions that they're feeling in a way that is going to align with the pandemic. And so we thought, what better than a car rally where everybody will be able to social distance themselves and yet still come together in a gathering that um, expresses that this isn't okay and they want to stand up and say that justice needs to happen and that they support the Black lives in their community. While waiting in their cars to get the procession rolling, people were happy to share their thoughts. I am so impressed. This is something that we have needed to do for years. I've lived in Vancouver for 50 years. Never seen us come together like this for a common cause. It is no longer time to be silent and we're showing it today. We're protesting not only for George Floyd, but for all the others who have been killed senselessly. Stop the lynching. It's important to remember Emmett Till because he was 14 when he was lynched in Mississippi in 1955. The world was so outraged at his death, the civil rights movement was born. And so we're seeing that again, aren't we? George Floyd's death is starting this huge movement throughout the world. So important. So let's remember Emmett, Brianna, George, Tamir, who is 12. Remember all those people. It's all about love right now and change. And I call for all senior wise men and senior wise ladies to come out and speak out about change. As an old white lady, I'm sick of it. And I can't imagine how sick of it I'd be if I was of some other color. Um, I feel like it's time for white people to stand up and stand behind our brothers and sisters and put an end to this. I think it's great that people are supporting black people and how the rights that black people are treated unequally and that, that a bunch of people are helping us get, get be treated equally. There is a lot of grief, a lot of sadness going on in this country in the middle of a pandemic where everyone has also had to do nothing but sit at home. So with those two things happening, I feel like it's built a new fire that we haven't really experienced. I mean, obviously we've had for the last 10 years, for the last many decades, mm -hmm. we've had people reacting to the loss of black lives and the inequities in this country. But I think this one, that fire, it burns a little different. There's a lot of, there's a lot of other things happening at the same time that are really making the United States really look at each other and say, what are we doing? Black Lives Matter! Black Lives Matter! It's estimated that about 2,000 cars, 3,500 people showed up for the rally. They drove towards downtown's Esther Short Park in a lineup that stretched over three miles. For KXRW and X-Ray FM, I'm Barb Seaman.
And don't lose sight, there are a bunch of organizations in Portland fighting systemic racism, and you can help. Want to shout out to PALF, want to shout out to Oregon Action, also the Portland NAACP, the Black Resilience Fund, the Urban League, Kairos, Black Lives Matter Portland, and the Generational Resistance PDX, and Don't Shoot Portland. You can also donate to the PDX Protest Bail Fund, which we've talked about before. And one other opportunity, we're giving free ad space here on the local and on our affiliated radio partners for black-owned businesses. If there's a black business you love, hit us up at the local at xray.fm, and we can give them some free promotion. And a reminder, if you go out, be prepared for safe protesting. And that's today's Quick 6 Local Rundown. X-Ray. And here's Emily Gilliland with What's Next. Thanks, Jefferson. First up, Apostle Stephen Holt of Kingdom Nation, an equity trainer and community leader, putting the week's protests in context. This piece, thanks to DJ Ambush and our partner station, The Numbers, is from the I Am George Floyd rally at Sunrise Center this weekend, Saturday, June 6th. Connections, dignity, respect, humanity, justice. Show up. Here's Apostle Holt. Good afternoon, everybody. I appreciate you being here. I appreciate the invitation from Apostle Mondanay. I'm Apostle Stephen Holt, uh, and I lead Kingdom Nation. And then I also do quite a bit of work of equity with the city of Gresham and the city of Portland. I've been an equity trainer for the Portland police, which is an interesting thing, and attempted to do equity training in the city of Gresham, which is an even more interesting thing. Um, We are here at this moment, I think, because we all understand the impact of pain. We understand the impact of this crisis. We understand the impact of this issue that we are now uh, finally being able to address. This isn't new. This didn't just happen. This isn't the first time. We understand that. This isn't just a reflection of the incident in Minneapolis. We understand that. That this is a um, this is the culmination of what has happened around this nation that has created continuous separation and difficulty uh, related to humanity and our commonality and our common experience. We are here today to say that it's enough and it's gotta stop. I'll try it one more time. We're here today to say it's enough and it's gotta stop. I'll ask this question, who here is angry about the moment? Anybody angry about this moment? How many of us recognize that it's going to take our collective voice to make a change? How many of us say that? So here's where I want to ground us. Here's what I'd like to do today to offer uh, before everybody else has a chance to speak. Unfortunately, uh, this was scheduled at a time. We've got a uh, 3 o'clock Uh, engagement for a high school graduate that we helped to raise. And so I'm going to have to run off and celebrate her graduation at this moment, at this interesting time. So I hate to do that, but I appreciate having the opportunity to speak. How many folks would agree with me that it's time for us to raise our voice? And in raising our voice, we must raise our expectation of our functionality. Would you agree with that? So what I want to ground us in is this, and all of us understand it, that we are the recipients of things we did not choose. We did not choose our color. We did not choose our ethnicity. We did not choose our gender. Would you agree with that? That we find ourselves in this human condition, in this human experience collectively together. 
And our responsibility is to raise the dignity of every individual who walks the face of the earth. Now, by no means, for those of us who are black, and I've been black all my life, 54 years, and lived the black experience, been stopped by police countless times. My sons have been stopped. I'm concerned for my grandsons. But as long as we allow it to merely be about black and white, we miss, I think, the depth of what causes our humanity to be connected. And that is this. Every person deserves dignity in their treatment. That none of us can take credit for how we showed up in the earth. Whether you showed up black, whether you showed up white, whether you showed up Hispanic, whether you showed up male, whether you showed up female, it had nothing to do with you. Hello. It had nothing to do with you. The reality that connects us is that we are all human beings, and we deserve and uh, should be afforded the dignity and the respect of being human. And anything less than that cannot be tolerated. I'll try it one more time. Anything less than that cannot be tolerated. If we are... if. If we're going to make a difference, it has to be a difference across the board or otherwise it misses justice, it misses, it misses rightness, it misses appropriateness. If it's going to be true, it's got to be true for everybody. Am I pissed off? Yeah, I'm pissed off. Am I angry? Yeah, I'm angry. Am I tired? Yes, I'm tired. But the voices that must be elevated are the voices of humanity, not just black people, but people. Why? Because I didn't choose to be black, but I'm grateful I'm black. Just like you didn't choose who you are, and you should be grateful that you are. We have a responsibility to call truth, truth, right, right, and righteousness, righteousness. And it's time for a collective voice to speak to that. Inhumane treatment is inhumane treatment, and we cannot tolerate it, period. So, my brothers... Black folk who would say, yeah, 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 but what about us? What about us? The raising of the lowest boat raises all boats. If we address the most mistreated, most gentrified, most displaced people, we change the world. And here's what's awesome about it. Here's what's awesome to me about being black at this moment, is we are the most equipped, most prepared, and most experienced, capable, strategic, and intelligent people to do it. I want us to raise our voice. I want us to raise our intelligence. I want us to raise our capacity. But we must do it with dignity. We must do it with intelligence. We must do it with strategy. We must say that policies have to change. Systems have to change. Structures have to change. Opportunities have to change. And so we say to those who have been privileged, you didn't give it to yourself. You did not privilege yourself. You were born into it. You didn't earn it. You have a responsibility to recognize that it was a gift. And every gift is given to be shared. You have an obligation to create pathways. You have an obligation to create possibilities. You have an obligation for human dignity. If you sit in the seat of power, and you sit in the seat of authority, and you sit in the seat of access, you got there because of what someone else did for you. And you have a responsibility to open the door and create the opportunity for others as well. If it's going to be different, 
It's going to be different because we won't allow what has happened historically to continue. If it's going to be different, it's going to be different because we collectively commit ourselves to a higher place. If it's going to be different, it's going to be different because we bring the essence of ourselves, the best of ourselves, the strength of ourselves into our environment, and we no longer apologize for being who we are. I call us to a higher place. I call us to a place of understanding that this moment is a moment where we cannot be silent. It's a moment where we cannot back down. It's a a moment that we cannot walk away from, but it's got to be bigger than a moment. We've got to make it into a movement. And this movement must become a mandate that then becomes a new structure and a new system with new policies and new ways of doing business. Thank you for showing up. I want you to keep showing up. Don't just show up because others are around. Show up in your space. Show up in your family. Show up at the barbecue. Show up at the dinner. Show up when your relatives don't understand and aren't quite sure. I need you to show up then and call them to something bigger, something greater, and don't be ashamed or afraid to speak out. Next up is an interview with Ty Carpenter from Don't Shoot PDX with Jefferson Smith and DJ Ambush. Where to focus our attention and how to create systemic change. Here's Ty. Hi, everybody. I'm Jefferson Smith, and that's DJ Ambush. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right now, we have Ty Carpenter. You want to introduce her, Ambush? Definitely. Hello, everyone. This is DJ Ambush of The Numbers and X-Ray FM. I'm so happy to be here with you guys in the morning. Don't Shoot PDX has been mobilizing people and resources since 2014, from direct action to policy advocacy. Don't Shoot PDX is an organization making a collective impact. And I am Jefferson Smith, and today we have Don't Shoot PDX team member Ty Carpenter with us to talk more about the organization and the movement. Welcome, Ty. Hey, good morning, everybody. How are you? Good, good. How are you, Ty? I'm doing good. I'm tired, but I'm doing good. I'm grateful and, you know, happy to be on the call with you guys this morning. Happy to have you. Happy to have you. We are in the middle of a moment right now. Uh, attention can be focused in this moment. Where would you want that? Where would you want us to focus that attention right now? Um, I believe with this being a movement, you know, much beyond a moment, um, attention should be focused on dismantling anti-blackness and the systemic partners of community policing. Um, what we saw in the news yesterday about Portland Public Schools abolishing SROs, um, that should also point to the dismantling of partnerships that have been complicit in the actions that were carried out on those same children and families for generations. So I think we need to dismantle those partnerships that wanted to depend on police violence in order to maintain the status quo. What kind of partnerships are you talking about? <clears throat> there's, a, there's, there's a lot. Um, there are mostly institutions that have partnered with our schools um, partnered with a lot of our community-based programs, and it's come out if you do your research. Um, and we can't, I just, I think that gatekeepers are a much bigger problem than people would like to look at. Mm. And it's important that we divest from those relationships and engage more in true community partnerships and what that actually looks like. We can't keep maintaining the status quo through the levies and pulleys of systemic violence and police violence it's um it's hurting us it's hurt it's disenfranchising our communities Mm -hmm. 
Todd, we had the opportunity to meet um, at the teaching on MLK Day, uh, MLK, MLK Day of Service at PCC. And um, something that struck me that day was how passionately you spoke to some of the students that day in the school. And, and it just really gave me the impression of, you know, how involved you are in the movement. Uh, with the recent protests, are there any things that are happening on the front lines that you would like to share with our listeners? Um, currently, we have been advocating for jail support. Um, we have not physically organized any demonstration following social distancing guidelines. Mm. Um, Teresa Rayford as well. And we do have, um, we go to our office over on 18th uh, Killingsworth. And we do have supplies there, so we've been taking donations, clothing trees for those that are just getting out um, from protesting that were arrested. Like I said, the bail funds have been going well, and we're also organizing food and meals for people, first aid kits, and people are taking those with them down to the front lines, but um, we are not organizing anything um, currently. We do have an announcement later on today that... uh, we're working on but i can't yeah evil <laughs> y'all will see that later why, why you, you can make the announcement right here we got a microphone we got people listening <laughs> i know i know I'm, I'm i'm excited uh we've been working really hard towards this but maybe we can do a follow-up because we're trying to finalize it right now huh. it's all happening very fast hmm. this morning so <laughs> what's it about what's the announcement about legal action against who <laughs> We'll leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> as, 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 Didn't even brought it up. Now we all excited. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good teaser. It's a good teaser. As the city addresses and as the movement addresses systemic and systematic racial oppression, where does the city need to show up differently? Where does the state need to show up differently? Um, I'm going to go back to the complicity. Um, I think the state needs to be held accountable to discontinue certain partnerships that and stakeholders that they know are part of the glue that's relied on the SROs and the policing of black bodies. Um, I think on the record, we really need to look further and divest and hold the state accountable. And that's how we can really start it, especially in our communities. Is, is there an example, just to help people visualize, is there an example of one of these partners that uh, has been complicit and that needs to be held accountable or needs to be divested from? I mean, just looking into what happened with um, Portland Public Schools and what those children were going through, on the record, the family's accounts of that were ignored for years and years, and we're only just now starting to make some sort of change. And this is only the beginning with the with the abolition of SROs. There's um, there's a lot of issues that we have with and, um, no safety nets. I. I really I can't say anything specific about the partnerships right now um, just because it's legally wrapped up. Um, but yeah, I just think we need to really research and divest from these partnerships that have been so long rooted and have results in the state in audits that show that they are not, they're fraudulent and they are not helping our communities, these partnerships. Ty, do you have any thoughts on how we could galvanize this current energy into organizing around the vote in the census? Um, I think just starting to file lawsuits for families that have been affected, um, people that have been on the record going through 
different systemic abuse, <clears throat> quantify the harm that was done, and reconnect with those families that were left unfounded, and then continue holding the state accountable. Right now, the city of Portland is working on and voting on the budget. They're also right now in negotiation on a new contract with the police union. What are your reflections on what priorities would you have in a new contract and or in shifts to the city budget? Um, I really think that we need, like it comes back to true community engagement. I feel like um, it's, it's never really been allowed that every community partnership has been led by the city and administered as if people had to say so. And then we see those very decisions that people meet about being made without our input, as if they went through a checklist and then chunked it in the trash, you know, as if community engagement was just something that you have to mark off a box. And um, yeah, I think we need to really, like I said, need to look deeper into the partnerships and create something that is going to work for people that are in our communities and have not been affected negatively by what we've already had in place. On the record, we've seen that things like it's not working and we need to really take a deeper look into that. Uh, I'm going to seize the moment here. We are working on a teach-in timed right around Juneteenth, a whole day focused on issues and lessons of um, racial justice that's coming up. What are some of the ideas we should focus on this year, and would you be willing to participate? Yes, that is, um, I think that's amazing, Um, especially for Juneteenth and everything, like the momentum, like you were saying, the energy that's happening right now. Um, this is a perfect time that we need to really be engaging the youth as hard as we can and teaching them that, you know, this is their future and they need to have the lessons. And, yes, this teaching, I would love to be a part of it. I'm sure Teresa would like to be a part of it as well. Um, but, yeah, I, I really think that <clears throat> the focus of divestment is extremely important so that we can all wake up and teach our youth to really seek out how to put their complaints on the record. It shouldn't take this long for young voices to be heard when this is their world to inherit. Mm. And we have to start getting um, our youth more involved at a younger age, and teach-ins are perfect for that, so that we can learn where we came from and where we want to go and equip them with what they need to make it happen themselves and not just waiting on the same you know, adults that might have failed them. Um, but yeah, we would love to be a part of that. Excellent. Thank you. What are your reflections on the recent decision to take Portland police out of public school buildings? This is something y'all been working for, working on. Yes. Um, I think it's just, you know, it's a small step, but I think, I mean, that was like one of the only bright spots that, you know, I've felt in a couple days. So, I mean, that was, that was great. I think we need more counselors and, you know, it's hard. I mean, I couldn't even imagine, you know, having police in my, you know, in school when I was um, that age. And, you know, to think about that, it's like, I really think that we need to focus on what the kids want and their feedback and how they feel being policed in their own schools and their own halls and how that can actually, you know, affect their experience at school. Mayor. So, yeah, I was I was excited, actually. I know we have a long way to go, but it felt good to see that development. 
the mayor said that he's going to have a community process to determine what to do with that money. I think it's about a million bucks. What do you th- think should be done with the million dollars that was spent on SROs, on police officers in schools? I think that can go into a lot of different areas. Um, I don't um, I don't feel completely comfortable talking on it because it was Teresa that really spearheaded that. And... Um, I'm sure she would, man, that would be a whole radio show in itself if you could get her on the line, but she's been so busy. (laughs) She's been so busy with everything. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, I wish that that I could speak more to that. But I know that there's a better allocation of those funds that could be utilized. And I think we absolutely need to keep the students and teachers and the school boards um, involved in what that will look like. Well, I want to say thank you so much for spending this time. And Don't Shoot PDX is a family endeavor. Uh, Tress is your mom, right? She described you as her daughter. Yes, described me. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, we are. I don't um, think it's a secret. I think I'm allowed to say that. (laughs) Yeah, we are roommates. (laughs) Is there anything? Um, But, yeah, she's uh, my mom. I was actually living in Denver um, up until August, and then when she was um, running her mayoral campaign, I was like, I need to be a part of this, and um, I decided to come and move. And then when COVID happened, I was especially grateful that I had decided to move back home because I was kind of, you know, I would visit Portland here and there. I, I was born and raised here, but you know, I sort of moved away and was just kind of like, uh, you know, hanging out, checking up, you know, checking out Austin and Dallas and Denver. So I decided to come back here, and I'm happy to be able to you know, learn from her and continue this work and, you know, do more. Ty, where can listeners find out more about what you guys have going on? Yeah, so you can get in touch at don'tshootpdx.org. And we are currently taking um, legal intake if anyone has been um, affected or has any direct experiences with the George Floyd protests happening right now in Portland. So please um, reach out with statements if you are able and comfortable doing that. Thank you. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you to Apostle Holt. Thank you to Ty. Thank you also to KXRW. And thank you for listening to The Local, your hometown in about 30 minutes. Tomorrow, we'll have new interviews with the runoff candidates for Portland City Council Position 2, Loretta Smith and Dan Ryan. The special election will be in a little over two months on August 11th. And again, remember, if you have story ideas, if you've got black-owned businesses, you've got organizations who need shouts out, send us an email at thelocal at xray.fm. Let's stick together while we're apart. And thank you, democracy. X-Ray.